Hello, and welcome to The Goldmine, where you can find new investment insights from your favorite financial writers every day. Hello, I'm Blair Ducanet, and this is Macro Thinking. There's a lot of buzz going around about the size of the latest COVID relief bill and the national debt. $1.9 trillion is a lot of money. Democrats call it the minimum amount of support needed to help individuals struggling through the pandemic, while Republicans call it a liberal wish list of pork barrel spending. I think we can be confident that the truth lies in between these two analyses. There are many ways to define a modern economy. I find it helpful to think of it as the exchange of money for goods and services. Add in the banks for lending and corporations for the pooling of assets. And you have dollars exchanging hands in a constant flurry of activity. Slow down the speed at which those dollars move around or shrink the size of currency in circulation and economic activity decreases. This is why I had a moment of terror last spring when we temporarily shut down entire sectors of our economy to combat the pandemic. If the money stops flowing around, isn't it all just a house of cards? I take this from the perspective of someone who lives in a city dependent on tourism dollars. No tourists, no hotel taxes, no sales taxes, and we've just blown a massive hole in our city budget. I'm not talking about funding for public employee pension plans. I'm talking about funding for education, police and fire protection, and critical infrastructure. Luckily, last spring, the government stepped in. We had complete gridlock in Washington, D.C. last year. Yet Congress, that couldn't agree on anything, passed the largest, at the time, fiscal stimulus package on record. It provided direct payments, increased unemployment benefits, and funds sent directly to small businesses who agreed to keep their employees on payroll. That act, the CARES Act, was designed to keep the economy afloat for a few months when everyone assumed that life would return to normal. As we know, we didn't return to normal life last summer. Stepping back a minute, in Economics 101, I learned the expenditure calculation for GDP, which stands for Gross Domestic Products. It's a way of measuring the economy. The formula goes like this. GDP equals C plus I plus G plus net exports. The C stands for consumption or consumer spending, and it's the largest portion of our economic activity. I represents investment by businesses and individuals. G stands for government spending, and net exports is the difference between the country's imports and exports. Now, according to John Maynard Keynes, his expenditure theory, government can step in and bolster an economic decline by spending during a downturn. And last year, we tested this theory and proved it to be right. The question today becomes, how much government spending is too much? When will we see the consequences from overspending and taking on too much debt? Remarkably, interest payments on the U.S. debt have fallen even as the debt piles on. Lower interest rates make borrowing less expensive. Now, as frustrating as this might be, we cannot compare the federal budget to a household. The government does not have to live within its means, especially in times of crisis, when additional spending is needed most. And rather than retire the debt, we will continue to grow our way out of it, returning the percentage of debt to GDP to more manageable levels. I included an, a tweet in here from an individual named Bruce Melman, and he shows this chart of how since from 1990 to today, we've doubled the amount of government debt 
the net interest cost has dropped in half, and that's because interest rates are down. So we've borrowed more, but the line item on the federal budget for interest cost is half of what it was in 1990. Prior to the pandemic, U.S. GDP was approaching $20 trillion a year. That's the size of our economy. Total federal debt has now surpassed 100% of our GDP and is projected by Fitch to reach 109% in fiscal year 2021. When you throw in the fact that the U.S. Treasury is financing some of our debt from its enormous balance sheet, that's when my brain starts to do somersaults. I don't know how much debt is too much, but we may be testing the limits as we speak. These are a few of my takeaways from the past year, and they're in no specific order. The federal government can be extremely effective with fiscal stimulus during emergencies, and we're getting better with time and experience. The COVID relief was much better than how we did during the great financial crisis. We should embrace this concept and strive to improve its impact when the next crisis comes around. Second, incentives matter in economics, and they should guide policy decisions as we return to normal. It would be a big mistake to incentivize people not to work, but on the other hand, there's just too many people in the U.S. working full-time who can't even afford the basics. The divide between the haves and the have-nots grew this year, and that could be the biggest threat to our society long-term. This means that the haves will have to pay higher taxes to try to fix this imbalance. There's a lot of money floating around out there, as well as a lot of pent-up demand. We should expect a boom later this year and continuing into 2022. Inflation meanwhile, has struggled to get above 2% for the last 20 years. So it's not really the end of the world if we see 3 to 4% inflation for a couple of years. The increased child tax credit in this latest bill is a true experiment in universal basic income. And I'm fascinated by it. Anyone with young children knows that child care costs are unaffordable for many families. When my daughter starts preschool in August, child care payments will be the largest expense item in my household budget. If we get this right, it could be a game changer. More children means more payers into the social safety net in the future. Stay tuned. I used to worry a lot about the federal deficit and the debt, but now I worry more about how to increase wages for the middle class. You have to keep your head down when investors get manic over shiny objects. From Bitcoin to GameStop to NFTs, I would be slaughtered trying to speculate in these areas. Slow and steady, Asset allocation with rebalancing is the only way to grow and preserve wealth with any type of consistency. Thank you for indulging me on my TED Talk about economics. For more of my insights, visit BlairBellCurve.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out LiftoffInvest.com to get started with us today. Solid.